Morning, Grace. I think some of your friends are afraid of a windstorm, huh? All of you guys out there, it's not that windy. Hey, um, a lot of times I get a chance to come into the sanctuary early and uh, hear the end of the worship set. It gives me a chance to sort of settle my own spirit. And uh, they were doing that song that we just finished. And uh, quite often on Sunday mornings, uh, I ask myself, do I really believe that? Like we, we sing lyrics all the time um, that ought to challenge us. And uh, one of the things I just want to encourage you to uh, is never, never to feel like you can't be honest about where you really are. You know, part of the song we just sang is, you are my everything. Like that's, a lot of the songs we sing, that's the goal. But if we're honest with ourselves, we're not quite there. There's still other things competing. There's still, and the last thing God wants you to do is fake it and pretend. And uh, there were a lot of lyrics today that ought to, press you towards something, right? And so it's easy to come to church and just get caught up in it and sing the words, and this was great. And I just want to challenge you to always just listen to what your voice is singing. Sing it as a declaration of where you want to be, but be honest about where you are. And that's going to come out a little bit in my message, but um, I never want grace to be a place where we feel like we have to uh, put on airs and fake it and pretend that we're somewhere where we're not. A couple quick announcements just before we jump into it. Uh, I say this a lot, but there's no way we can announce everything. Uh, and just know that if we don't announce what you're passionate about, it doesn't mean we don't care. It just means that we don't have time to announce everything. Uh, there is a mo women's movie night uh, this week. I knew it was coming, only for the women. We always get a whoop whoop, but anyway, uh, they're going to watch War Room, so uh, you can sign up for that out there. Love for you to be a part of it. Even if you've seen the movie, great chance for you to connect with other women. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about Lent that's coming up, the Lenten season. Meg and I, um, I just want to invite you to join us as we participate in this season of time to prepare our hearts for uh, the Easter season, and uh, we'll open up the the chapel, which is right through those walls right over there from 6.30 to 8.30 every morning, uh, Monday through Friday, so you can just stop on your way to work if you want, spend some quiet time using the link guide going through it. Uh, if you want prayer, you can always ask Meg or I or both of us to pray for you in those mornings, but a lot of people come for 15 minutes, half hour, an hour, but we will be there every morning uh, through the Lenten season, Monday through Friday, 6.30 to 8.30. It's just become, we actually look forward to it. It's become just important. Uh, there'll be information in the link guide about Ash Wednesday, uh, Good Friday, uh, all of the things that we're doing and coming up to that season. Those are free and they're at the information counter. So just grab a link guide if you want one and participate with us. And here's a challenge. Um, and this is not a thus saith the Lord. This is just me uh, asking you, but I am going to ask the church to prayerfully consider fasting all social media for the Lent season. It's funny. I expect more of a moan and groan. Um, I'm going to do it. Uh, I'm not telling you that you have to. I just think it might be interesting to see how it affects us as a body who are trying to navigate this thing we call the mosaic. And I think sometimes we are agitated in our spirits because of all of the crap that we've digested throughout the week. Uh, and so just give it a shot. Let's see what God does, okay? Um, you may even want to avoid your favorite news broadcast that also feeds you a lot of crap. So that's just my 
recommendation. Okay, uh, if you have not gotten your book yet, you can still buy a book today. We're starting the Curtains uh, study today, and hopefully you have a book. The um, Kendall book has now been re-released, and it doesn't have all the uh, silly things that came with the first release, so you can get one on Kendall for $2.99 if you'd rather. If you bought one previously, uh, you can just work through Amazon, and they'll get you a new uh, updated version that works, uh, but we'd love for you to have a book, even if you're not in a group, but we would also like for you to be in a group. Uh, last week, we made a big point to talk about those online groups, and just because God has a great sense of humor, as we talked about them, the web stream went down. So I, I was actually talking to people that weren't there. Remember, I was like, and all you people out there watching on the web stream, and none of them were out there, isn't that hilarious? But anyway, for all you that are out there, we have online groups. We have a 7.30 Saturday morning. We have a 7... 7 o'clock Saturday morning and a 7 o'clock Tuesday night uh, online Zoom group. So you guys can uh, click right on your screen right now and be a part of those groups. If you want to be a part of those groups, it's fine. We got groups all over. There's groups meeting on Tuesday night. If you haven't connected yet and you want to, that's probably the easiest way to get connected. Just come. We will find a group that has room. And if there aren't uh, groups that have room, we will form groups that will have room. So Tuesday nights at uh, 6.30 uh, 6.45, you can show up, and then we'll get you plugged into a group that starts at 7 if you haven't found one. You can also just go on the website, see Group Finder, and find a group. Okay, if you have your Curtains book and you're going to take notes, you're on page 14 of that. You're welcome to turn to page 14, grab your Bibles. We'll uh, turn to a passage in just a moment. But ironically, as I tell you to give up social media, I'm going to start by telling you that I posted a question on social media this week. Um, I know, it's like talking out of both sides of my mouth here, so... Uh, but the question was, if you could spend some time with anyone, uh, just some, some quality time, an afternoon maybe, uh, who would that person be? And I ask you to think about why you would spend time with them. And the ground rules were they had to be alive, and it couldn't be Jesus or God, because I figured I'd get 8,000 people who just figured that's, well, it's, it's Pastor Doug, he just wants to say Jesus. That wasn't what I was chasing after here, although a couple of you did say Jesus anyway. Uh, but the whole point is, so who would it be? And I did want you to think about it for a minute. If you could spend some time with anybody, famous, whatever, but they're alive, who would it be, and why would you spend some time with them? We heard answers like Elon Musk, uh, Greg Boyle, I'm not sure who Greg Boyle is, you don't need to shout it out, you can tell me later. Francis Chan, Barack Obama, Michelle Obama, Richard Rohr, Donald Trump, Priscilla Shire, by the way, we have a simulcast coming up with her, so close, she won't actually be here, but you'll be able to watch her anyway. Bob Goff, uh, Lynn manuel Miranda, which is the, yeah, Hamilton guy, uh, lots of authors, lots of famous singers, songwriters, preachers, teachers, politicians. A couple of you said it was Pastor Doug. I appreciate the brownie points, but yuck, yuck. If you want to spend some time with me, send me an email. I'll be happy to hang out with you. Uh, but the whole point is, what came to mind? What came to mind for you? I know for me, uh, it, I think if I could just choose who it was, I would probably choose Obama and or Trump or even better both of them at the same time in a room with just the three of us just to have an honest conversation. I got that the first service too, like, ooh. I just, I just don't know what to, I, I'm just being honest with you, I don't know what to believe about anybody in the media anymore and in politics. I just don't think who they are and who we see and how people betray them. I would just love to, I would love to just look them in the eye and make my own assessment like, who are you and what do you believe and what are your convictions? So that's just me. I just think it would be a hoot to have that time with them. Um, but who would it be for you? Just think about it for a second. I think it's, it's worth 
getting after. And, and I think as I thought about this whole thing, that there, there are some reasons why we would want to hang out with the majority of people that we wrote. And, and I just kind of made a list. One of them is just flat out curiosity. That's part of my motivation, right, for, for Trump or Obama. Would be. I'm just curious who they, they really are, not who, the, who they're portrayed to be, but who they really are. I think sometimes it's a person we want to spend time with because we, we want to gain some kind of understanding from them, right? They, they know something we don't know maybe, or, or there's just a, something that they've accomplished and we want to say, how did you do that? Or tell me about that. Sometimes it's just a knowledge base. This is a teacher or a theologian or a, somebody that's done something and you want, to, you want to gain knowledge for them. I think there's a growth element. I want to grow in who I am. I want, to, I want to be stronger. There's a grounding opportunity. Like I really would like to be better at this particular thing. So I want to spend time with them so that I can be more rooted and grounded. And then the last thing that I think comes out of this, if we're honest, is it's beauty and awe. And I would almost, and I actually did in my first first uh, draft had the word worship here, and I thought you guys would just throw that out. But the truth is, we do often worship people in a way that we shouldn't. There's something about them that we find so enticing, so beautiful, so amazing that there's almost an element of worship. And whether you know it or not, you are designed to worship. You know that, right? Like God made you to be a worshiper, and sometimes our design of being a worship gets gets pulled astray. If you've ever been to a rock concert, and U2 is the one that's most recent for me, look, it's, it's a strange experience because it is a worship experience. Now, they're not worshiping what they should be worshiping, but it's, there's something really going on there, right? There, there's a word. So sometimes we, we have this desire to meet with these people because we're, we're in awe of them. We, there's a beauty about them. We want to we wanna be near them, right? And what I want you to hear this morning is if you really want to, to, to have all of these things, there's really only one source. If you spend time with any of the people on your list, you're going to discover that they can't bring all of these things anyway. And probably the one thing you thought you would get to them wouldn't be quite as, as much as, as, as you really wanted anyway. There is only one true source where you can fulfill all of these, and that's in Christ, right? So in the triune God, we have all of these. Our curiosity is met. We gain understanding and knowledge. We, we grow. We become more grounded. And that is to be the object of our, our worship. It's all found and satisfied in the triune God. And the question that we need to wrestle with in this morning is, are you as excited and I just want you to answer the question honestly, but are you as excited to spend time with God as you would be whoever that was on your list? So if, if that person called you this afternoon and said, hey, I have Monday afternoon available, would you spend the afternoon with me? How many of you, for that person you were thinking of, wouldn't clear the deck? You'd call in sick, you'd cancel your appointments, you'd say, well, I gotta do this, man. I get to hang out with whoever that person is for this afternoon. Are you as excited to spend time with God as you would be if the person that you thought of when I asked the question called you and wanted to meet with you tomorrow afternoon? Just think about it for a second. Are you as excited? Let's spend the day together. Would you do whatever it takes? I say this all the time, but the movement of God in your life always starts with what? An invitation. And Jesus is inviting you. He's saying, come, spend time with me. Come away with me. Spend time in my presence. Hang out with me. Allow me to be in every aspect of your life. But for most of us, we let the busyness of life and the distractions pull us away from that beautiful invitation. And I think there's no doubt that, that 
if we really understood the enormity of the invitation that we would move into it. But I think sometimes the idea of, of being in the presence of God is just more theoretical than it is actual, right? It sounds just like a religious thing. It's not something that we can really experience in our day-to-day. If we believe deep in our souls that God is willing to hang out with us, why wouldn't we accept the invitation? And what I want you to hear this morning is God is not only willing to, but he's gone to incredible lengths to make sure that that can happen for you and for me. So grab your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 27, Matthew 27, we're gonna read verses 45 through 51. Matthew 27, verse 45 through 51. If you hang out here long enough, you're gonna hear me say this a lot, context matters. Whenever we read a passage of scripture, we ought to ask ourselves, what's the context? What is, what's the story that's going on? What is all the other passages saying? And, and one of the ways we look at context is what was being written to the original readers. I say this often, but if you don't know what it meant to the first readers, then you don't know what it means to you and I. So context matters. And the context of Matthew here is he is telling the passion of Christ, the passion of Christ. You probably heard that word. You remember the movie, The Passion. And the interesting thing is that word passion, the meaning of the word has actually been shifted in our culture. When we think of passion, we think of like love and we think of sex maybe even. We, we think of romance. But the word actually means suffering. The word passion means suffering, especially suffering for the benefit of someone else. So this is the passion of Christ, the story of his suffering for you and I. These are the moments right before his death and then his death on the cross. And it's this graphic, horrific description of the crucifixion. We find it in the Gospels, important for us to lean into. Jesus has been in public ministry for three years and he's now on the cross. Matthew 27, starting in verse 45. It says, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes and saves him. Verse 50, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rock split. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that as we unpack this, the story of the, the passion, your passion for us, I pray that there would be new truths that would settle into our spirit, that those truths would take root, that they would grow and they would bear fruit 30, 40, 100 fold. Help us to leave different than we came because we've stood in the presence of the living God. Amen. So verse 45 tells us that darkness came over all of the land for three hours. This is one of those passages that's easy to read and probably not grasp just how uh, scary this would have been for someone in the first century. They didn't have a, a radio broadcast and a newspaper ad and a Facebook reminder that, hey, there's this uh, eclipse that's coming. If you've ever been a part of an eclipse, even the partial eclipse that we just went through, or if you happen to go down south and experience the full eclipse, there's something really 
uh, amazing, spooky, scary, even though you knew it was coming, it still was sort of awe-inspiring and a little bit off-putting. When the sun goes out in the middle of the day, it gets your attention, right? But, but here, they don't have any context. They wouldn't understood anything about eclipses or however it happened. I don't know what God used to do it. All I would know is it was the middle of the day, and now it's pitch black. And this would have scared the people. And you think about it, Jesus had said to them in the temple not too long before this, I am the light of the world. How many of them were remembering those words and thinking, have we just extinguished the very light of our existence? Even if that's what they were thinking, I can guarantee you that that the light going out was creating a a fear in them. No doubt that they would have understood because in, in the ancient world, darkness represented all the things opposed to God. If you wrote about darkness, you were writing about evil. If you, if you gave words about darkness, it was about wickedness. It was about hell or eternal punishment. So just the fact that it got dark would have made them realize something is going on in the cosmic realm, and it would have scared all of the people as they tried to figure out three hours of darkness, says the darkness came over all the land, and then Jesus cried out. It's interesting that this crying out is only found, the word for this in the Greek is only found here in the scripture, and what the word means is screams. Sometimes we see the depiction of the crucifixion, and, and Jesus says those words, my God, my God, while I'm singing, you can barely hear him, and it's a, you know, he's, he's grasping for, for breath, but the passage actually says he screams, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the truth is, we can wager a guess as to what this moment in time really means. You can listen to all kinds of pastors try to explain it, but I can tell you, anyone who tries to explain it, they are just guessing. For 2,000 years, theologians have debated and talked and asked themselves, what does this really mean? Why would Jesus say, my God, my God, why would you forsake me? Why have you forsaken me? I love this uh, quote by Donald Hegner. He's uh, one of the commentaries that I studied. And he says, this is one of the most impenetrable, he's talking about the, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is one of the most impenetrable mysteries of the entire gospel narratives. It is perhaps, it is best simply to let the words stand as they are, stark in their impenetrability to us as mortal. There is something going on in the cosmic world that we really can't understand. We can't wrap our minds around, but we can understand that there is anguish and pain in those words. We can't comprehend it, but we can understand something huge is going on. Spurgeon says these words. He says, our Lord was in the darkest part of his way. He had reached the culminating point of his anguish. This is his dolorous lament from the lowest pit of misery. He says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Do not think that there are records of times or even eternity contain a sentence more full of anguish. Here the wormwood and the gall and all the bitterness are outdone. Here you may look into a vast abyss, and though you strain your eyes and gaze till sight fails you, yet you perceive no bottom. It is measureless. It is unfathomable. It is inconceivable. This anguish of the Savior on your behalf and mine is no more to be measured and weighed than the sin in which needed it or the love 
and which endured it. We will adore what we cannot comprehend. It's measureless, unfathomable. I love the words when he says, we will adore what we cannot comprehend. Jesus doesn't cry out, my hands, there are nails in my hands. He doesn't cry out about the nails in his feet. He doesn't cry out about the beating that he took. He doesn't say, all of my friends have walked away from me, even though all of those were painful experiences. The anguish is something that's happening in the cosmic realm between him and the Father, and he cries out, my Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus cries out to God, he's quoting Psalms 22, a psalm that was written centuries before then that was all pointing towards this moment. And and that gives us a, a clear understanding that Jesus knew exactly what was happening, but he cries out in anguish. In this moment, in the passion of Christ, he takes on the sins of the world and the price is paid for all of us that call on his name. All of our sins, all of our rebellion, all of our turning away from God is laid on the shoulders of Jesus and he cries out in agony and he points every one of us back to God. So if you read in verse 50, it says that when Jesus cried out with a loud voice, he gave up his spirit, he died. The work of the cross was finished. In that moment, everything changes. In that moment of Jesus giving up his spirit, the the whole cosmic connection between humankind and God changes. Look at verse 51. It says, in that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rock split. That curtain in the temple, it was a barrier between people and the presence of God. It was both a physical and a visual reminder that your sins have separated you from God and you cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. The presence of God is there and you are here and between you and God is this barrier. And this barrier was substantial. The curtain was 60 feet high, 30 feet wide. I think Brian told me that this room is about 40 feet high. So think about that for a minute. 20 more feet, a third taller than this room at its tallest peak. 30 feet wide, and they say it was as thick as a man's hands. There's actually first century writings, writings that say you could have tied a team of horses to both sides of the curtain, and they wouldn't have the strength to tear the curtain in half. It was a substantial barrier between the people and God. But the passage tells us that without any aid of horses, the curtain is torn from top to bottom. It started at the top and moved all the way to bottom, from God all the way to us. And it's this beautiful picture of the, of the reality that everything changed. The barrier between God and man is removed, and we are invited to stand in the presence of a holy God. This is an enormous cosmic event. So enormous, in fact, that the earth shakes and rocks are split. If you, if you question this, the, the Bible sometimes, there's so much historical evidence that, 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 that confirms that the Bible is true. But geologists know there was a major earthquake that happened in the same time of the crucifixion in that 26 to 36. They can look at the core samples and they say there was a major earthquake that took place. Another moment in time for the people to wonder what exactly is happening. 
Jesus gives up his spirit, the curtain is torn, and the barrier that existed between people and God is removed, it's eliminated. It's torn in two, destroyed. And the presence of God is available to you and to me. And what I want you to leave today with is the reality that we have total access to God. We have total access to God. God desires to be a part of our everyday experiences. This is the heart of the series, A Church Without Curtain. Because the reality is, while the curtain was torn and we are invited into the presence of God, we erect our own curtains. We find all kinds of ways to hide from one another and to hide from God. And the whole series is, are we going to be honest enough to discover what we have erected? Where have we put curtains up, whether it's unforgiveness or, or shame, whatever that is? Where are we hiding from God and are we willing to tear down the curtains that we've erected to stand in the presence of a holy God. The whole series is about a, a church where God is known and loved and you are loved and known. So as we participate in this study and journey together, we're gonna learn and we're gonna understand what it means to live without curtains, what it means to, to live into Ephesians 2.18 that says, through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Can we put that up on the screen? Pretty good, huh? We have access to the Father through Jesus. God has made himself available to you. So as I've thought about that Facebook post and, and all of the people that you guys wrote who you would love to spend time with, I think what started to strike me is it's your image of those people whatever you perceive them to be that made you want to spend time with them, right? You, there's something about them that you desire, something about them that makes you want to be it. And what I started to think about, is it possible that we don't want to spend time in the presence of God because our image of God is askew? Is it possible that we don't really know who this is that is inviting us to hang out with them? After all, think about it. If your image of God is that he is the judge just waiting for you to mess up so that he can smite you, probably doesn't feel like a great invitation to hang out this afternoon, right? There's a fear that comes with that. Like, why would I want to hang out? Or maybe you just think God is aloof, God is distant, that God just set the world in motion and that we're all just there doing our thing. God really doesn't care about your day-to-day. -day. Why would you want to hang out with that God? Maybe you just think God doesn't really ever get satisfied with people. He's always disappointed in you, so why would you want to hang out with him? But this is not the God who's inviting you. The steadfast love of the Lord goes beyond your understanding. I don't think that Norflet knew how much he was setting up the series when he talked about that last week. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. He loves you beyond your wildest imagination. He delights in you. He delights in you in ways that it's impossible for you to even grasp. The scriptures tell us that he knit you together in your mother's womb. The scriptures tell us that he breathed life into you at conceptions. Do you know the scriptures tell us that before the earth was formed, he knew you. 
That's why we fight for the sanctity of life. That's why we believe that life starts at conception. That's why we fight against abortion because we believe the scriptures are true. It says God knit you together. God put you in that womb. God breathed life into you and he loves you beyond your wildest imagination. You were created for a purpose. Your heavenly father dances over you. He delights in you. He wants to laugh with you. He wants to cry with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to instruct you. He wants to carry you. He wants to high-five you. He wants to fist bump February with you. He wants to mourn with you. He wants to inspire you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to uphold you. He is your greatest champion. He will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. Amen. And the reality is, his love is not based on anything you've done. And it's not based on anything you haven't done. He loves you because you're you. I've walked with God for several decades, and I'm still learning to set aside my misconceptions about God and see him for who he truly is. I want to just invite you, as we go into this study, as we go into this next eight weeks, to just ask God, would you reveal to me more of your true character? Would you show me more and more and more who you really are? How different would our desire to be to hang out with God be if we really knew who it was that was inviting us? You are on God's mind. He's thinking precious, delightful, wonderful, cherishing, treasuring thoughts of you. Your heavenly Father desires to be with you. He's not waiting to smite you. He's not indifferent. He's not shaming you. God knows you with all of your faults, all of your shortcoming, and he loves you beyond your understanding. Your heavenly Father desires to be with you. And he's removed every barrier. The curtain is torn, and you have total access to God. I talk about this often, but the part of the problem is our image of God is always, initially anyway, rooted in our experience with our earthly father. You can take it to the bank. I've told this story lots of time, and uh, my niece is here, and she's never heard me say this, but I think she'll know what I'm talking about. I had uh, her, her grandpa, my dad, was a great man. He loved Jesus, but he was a quiet man. Never spoke truth into my life. Never had a conversation uh, of meaning in my lifetime. He's never talked to me about college, sex, money, marriage. Uh, he just, it's just not who he was. He loved Jesus. He was very faithful. He was always there. He was a great provider, but he was a silent man. Guess what God is like to me in my first coming back to God is God will always be there. God loves me, but he's never going to speak into my life. And I had to undo some of my images of God so that I could see God for who he really is, that he not only loves me, but he does desire to speak into my everyday. So maybe your dad abused you. Maybe your dad hurt you. Maybe your dad was absent. Maybe your dad raged over you. Maybe your dad was silent like my dad. The truth is, your image of your father is initially rooted in that. And, and I'm not saying this 
to, to, to be dishonoring to our fathers. Look, I think I'm a pretty good dad, but all of my kids are going to have to figure out what part to keep and what part not to keep because I am not God. And I let them down in certain ways, and they're going to have to do this good same soul work that I've had to do with my dad, and they're going to have to figure out that, that I am not the perfect image of God because I am not a perfect father. But your heavenly father is indeed a perfect father that loves you with a steadfast love. So what I want to do is start this whole series with just an invitation to be honest. It's an invitation to be honest about what you really feel. I want to invite you to be in your small groups. If you're not in a small group, get in a small group where you can talk. Even if it's not a formal curtains group, then meet and talk about this, this message and, and, and talk to each one another. But if, you, if what you can say to one another is, I know what Pastor Doug said, but that is not how I feel. I do not feel welcome to come into the presence of God. It makes me uncomfortable. That's, that's so good for you to say, because if that's true, that's true. Or maybe you just want to say, look, if the truth be known, if Bono called me, I'd be a lot more likely to clear my deck and go hang out with him tomorrow afternoon than with God. And I don't think that's good, but that's really where I am. But isn't that better that we know one another and we can pray with one another and we can be honest with one another and we can carry one another's burdens and we can pray for God to move into it. The last thing I want you to do is walk into your group and fake it. Don't tell them something that you're not feeling. It's okay. Maybe the best prayer you can pray is I don't want to be in the presence of God, but I want to want to be in the presence of God. Would you pray that for me? Would you help me to discover how to have a desire for that thing that Pastor Doug talked about? That's the conversations I want to exist in your small groups. Talk about your image of God that might be askew and allow each other to pray for and to lift each other up and so that we can all see God for who he is and desire him the way he wants to be desired. So life is a journey. Every successful journey starts with two points, where you are, and a vision for where you're going. So let's just be honest about where we are and let's help each other to have a vision for this beautiful invitation that God is calling us into. God loves you so much that he sent his son to give his life for you, to show you that he would go to any length necessary to be in your presence. The curtain is torn and you have access to the presence of God. One of my favorite theologians writes these words. He says, there is certainly great cause for humility in the thought that God sees all of the twisted things about me that my fellow humans do not see, and for that I'm glad, and that he sees more corruption in me than I see in myself. There is, however, equally great incentive to worship and love God in the thought that for some unfathomable reason he wants to be my friend. He desires me as his friend and has given his son to die for me in order to realize this very purpose. There is an unfathomable reason. He wants you as his friend. And he has sent his son to pave the way, to remove the curtain, to give you access to the presence of God in your life. We're going to move to communion. John's going to come up here and he's going to play. And uh, I just want to encourage you. I don't know what stirred in you as I talk today, but I just want to encourage you as the elements are handed out to just pray honest prayers. Just tell God where you are and you may be in a great place, then celebrate that. You may be struggling, then just offer that up to God. 
But the scriptures tell us that before we come to the table, we're to examine ourselves. So do some self-examination. The servers are going to go ahead and come down and they're going to hand it out. If you've said yes to Jesus, even if it was today, this is for you. It's not about whether or not you're a member at Grace. It's just whether or not you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior. If you do, we encourage you to take the elements. If you hold the elements, I'll come back up in just a minute and we will take them together. Lord, as, as the elements go out, I just pray that your spirit would move through this place in a powerful way, that you would speak words of life into each and every person. Holy Spirit, move in a powerful way. In Jesus' name. Hold the elements and we'll take them together.
like to just challenge you a little bit. I think this is a very easy thing for us to slide into uh, ritualistically. We do it enough that uh, it's easy just to take it for granted. If you're like me, you've been doing it since you were six years old, right? It's just the cup, the bread. But what we know to be true from the scriptures is that this is a supernatural moment, that there's something going on that we can't really explain. And while we do not believe this actually becomes the body and blood, we believe that the Spirit of God is in this place and He's in this communion. And that something's going on. I believe that some of you may receive physical healing as you take the, the bread. I believe that the, there's more to this than any kind of ritual. And I just want to invite you into that. Never take it for granted. The scriptures say when we take it undeserving or, or in the wrong way that it can bring harm to us. In the same way we take it in the right way, it can become great healing to us. So Jesus said to his people, every time you come together, every time you do this, remember me. And he was in that upper room with his closest friends and he took that bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you every time you take it. Every time you eat it, remember me. Remember my body broken. The scriptures tell us that he then took the cup. In the Passover meal, this was the third cup of the meal. It was Elijah's cup the cup of sacrifice. It was the cup that represented the coming Messiah. Since that Passover season, 1,400 years before that, the people would gather in a room for the Passover meal and they would send a cup around, the third cup, and they would talk about someday, someday the Messiah is coming and he will redeem his people. And that's the cup that Jesus held up and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Every time you drink it, remember me. Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember, not in our minds, but deep in our souls, that there is no length you would not go to, to usher us into the presence of our Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray that your love would grow, that we would understand the height, and depth, and width of the love of the Father, and that knowledge would surpass all other understanding. Amen. The scriptures say that after they had taken the meal, that they sang a hymn, so John is going to lead us in some singing, so I just encourage you to stand as we sing together.
service and prayed for you, and uh, interestingly enough, both the first service and the second service, the people that prayed, uh, first service, there was a sense that there's just some real loneliness in the room, that some of you have come because you just have a desperate need to connect and to get out of that loneliness, and then second service, the word was isolated, that you feel isolated, uh, and we just want to encourage you to uh, come down, receive some prayer, get connected for that, and then the other thing we heard this morning was that... Uh, some of you have had or someone in the room has had a long dream for a long time that God has planted a seed and uh, that he's going to let that dream that you've had for a long time blossom and grow. And uh, we would love to pray that over you as well. If you have a physical, spiritual need, uh, the prayer people would love to meet you down here. Lord, I just pray that you would take us from this place. I pray that you would bless the next eight weeks as we do uh, this Curtains Remix study together pray that you would move in a powerful way. Help us to be the church you've called us to be here on this corner of Morosa 994. Amen. God bless you. Have a great afternoon.